Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share adventures with you and talk about random other thoughts on birding topics. Just a couple of disclaimers. We're not experts, and if we discuss any controversial material, we hope you keep an open mind. But also remember that what we discuss, it's our own opinions. So I don't know about you, but I'm like worn out still. Exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> so we got back from Ecuador... Um, Gosh, it's been like a week or so. Not, not quite a week. I think, <laughs> I think we're at like five days. <laughs> and we're like still tired. <laughs> but we wanted to share uh, the second half of our trip with you guys. So buckle up because here we go. Yeah. So um, I think the last thing we talked about, we were sitting on the deck at Las Teresas de Donna. Oh my gosh. Those days were wonderful. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was sunset. We were sitting there. The mosquitoes were right about to start biting. <laughs> um, but so we got up the next morning, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was the next morning we got up and we hopped in the car with Miguel to head out to Guango. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Guango is on the opposite side of Quito from where we were in Mindo. So we're, we were on the west foothills in a, of, of the Andes, just outside of uh, Quito. So we hopped in the car and drove to the east foothills of the Andes um, on the other side of Quito, um, where Guango Lodge and uh, um, San Isidro Lodge were located. It was about a three-hour drive from Mendo or so. About, yeah. Um, it, but, you know, it was just beautiful scenery once we got on the other side of Quito. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. So there's like a rain shadow thing going on. Mm-hmm. For, for a portion of it, I was through my really horrible Spanish trying to um, talk talk with uh, Miguel, our driver. He uh, he kind of explained to me that because there's a whole section in the um, in a suburb of Quito. Um, it's like just desert. It was just desert. It looked nothing but desert. So I wasn't sure if maybe it had been like um, overforested and was just dry. But he was saying no. It's always it's always been like that. It's just naturally the the ground is just not. Uh, it's like really salty or something. It looked like they they mine a lot of uh, um, clay and rock for brick out mm-hmm. of that area. Yeah, that the whole section was just like brick companies. Yeah, but it's like you, every I don't know maybe twenty minutes or so when while you're driving through Ecuador is like a completely different habitat. Like you're going from like kind of deserty looking stuff to scrub to prairie to forest to jungle to rivers. <laughs> it's just like every eco. <laughs> system you can run into it's just every 20 minutes boom boom but different one different one different one i guess that's why there's so many birds there <laughs> but one of the really cool things on the way to guango was we were coming up this hill um in the it was like a national wildlife refuge oh right? yeah i really wish i could remember what is what that place is called yeah and uh we saw a truck that was pulled over on the side of the road with two the two guys from the truck looking out on the hill and so we were just asked trying to ask miguel like why are they doing this well miguel got super excited about it he saw the two guys and then he immediately started looking up on the hill like opposite the road like opposite we were driving next to a canyon he was looking on the other side of the canyon he was he was all excited about it without telling us what was going on and we're trying to ask him and he's he's not doing a very good job explaining because <laughs> he was so excited about what 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 Turned out to be a spectacled bear. Which looks like a black bear, but it has, like, tan spectacles. Yeah, it's got glasses on. its on. eyes. That was really cool. Yeah, it was, it was up. It was probably, at least probably almost a full mile away. I, I kind of got a picture of it. Well, I don't know. I think we'll post it on Facebook. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's just really far away. A lot, I took lots of pictures. Like, But that was so cool. Yeah. I mean, we rarely ever see oh, animals. Yeah, we, yeah even, even when we're out looking for birds, like out in the forest and jungle, we never see birds. Or never see, never see birds. Never see mammals. <laughs> we see a lot of birds. We see a couple birds. Well, so we got to Guango, <laughs> and it's a lot different from Las Teresas. Yes. It um, was kind of like... It was almost like Oregon. <laughs> like oh, yeah. the, the temperature, it was like in the 60s, low 60s. And it was pretty much trying to rain the whole time. Yeah. Right yeah. Like sprinkly, misty, low, low, really low clouds. Mm-hmm. Cloud forest clouds. <laughs> one uh, would say. So we get there and this, the lodge is pretty small. It's pretty much just like a cafeteria, like on the first floor and then rooms just above it on the second floor. I think there are only like six rooms or something. Something like that. Something like that. And the rooms were only like 10 foot by 10 foot. They were pretty simple. Yeah. With uh, a bathroom. Bathroom. Private bathrooms. And two twin beds. Yeah. Um, and then we had just a little window that looked out over the the forest. Yeah. The window was like the size of like two field guides next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, very small. It was a very small window. So we didn't spend a lot of time outside. In the room. No, we didn't need to. <laughs> uh, but just outside the little cafeteria, there's maybe like... 20, 30 hummingbird feeders, and they were busy the whole time, which is just crazy for us. You know, we're up in the Pacific Northwest right now, and we have, like, one hummingbird species right now, and you don't see them that often, like, one every couple days or so, but there, you know, it was the same climate up there, and we saw, like, just tons of them all over the place. Yeah, we we had six species of hummingbirds at Guango, and they were all brightly colored everything, including the super exciting... National Geographic bird, uh, sword-billed hummingbird. Oh my gosh, that hummingbird is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it, its proportions are just all wrong. This bill is too long, its mm-hmm. body is too short, <laughs> and it flies forwards and backwards and upside down and every every which way. I mean, like, do you, how fast can they really go? Because I just feel like they would probably pierce something with the <laughs> that bill. But they're not. They weren't very aggressive. That was like the least aggressive of all the hummingbirds that were there. That's because they have honor. I what guess. Well, the the coronets. Oh, the, I love those the were coronets. The, those were the ones that were really fighting everyone off. But they're so funny. They <laughs> so if you don't know coronets as a species, we didn't know them until we went there. Yeah, they're so funny because they perch, but they leave their wings out like they're getting ready to go, just in case the the situation reads poorly. And after a second, when they decide that they can stay, they put their wings back down. <laughs> yeah. It's... So we were kind of dumb when we got there. Um, and that we only had a Western Ecuador field guide. Yeah, that's true. Uh, when we decided we were going to go to Ecuador last year, Eric bought me a field guide for Christmas and it was just the West Ecuador guide, which is fantastic. And we talked about it in the last episode. It has a, a hummingbird on the cover and it's, it's more of a photographic guide. But once we got to, um, Guango, we realized that we didn't have anything to use as reference material and the internet which was... really sucks when you don't have internet yeah. you don't have a field guide and you don't know the birds and you're yeah. like seeing all these new things and panicking because you can't id them <laughs> yeah like some some of the i can't remember i think i don't think there was any coronets in the western ecuador field guide because they don't occur in that section of ecuador but they were like the super obvious birds when we were when we were at guango it's like they have to be in the guide and then we realized <laughs> oh well you're not guide. in the guide. <laughs> so, but fortunately, Guango had a field guide for sale 
Um, we picked it up. It's Field Guide of the Birds of Ecuador. It was like $35 um, by Miles McMullen and that other person. Lilis Navatari. Navarette? Navarette. I think. Yeah. If you're um, listening, I'm sorry I butchered your name so long. No, I'm sorry. But we bought your book. <laughs> $35. Second edition. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was super handy that they had that for sale because we relied on that for the rest of the trip pretty much. Pretty much the rest of the entire trip, yeah. And it, it's a pretty, it's a small field guide that's pretty handy. It's it's a little bit bigger than like, uh, in, in terms of like, not thickness, but um, length and width, a little bit bigger than like a Sibley or a Peterson. Yeah. But it's only like 300 pages, so it's it's thinner. Eric can fit it in his back pocket. Yeah, I was able to fit it in my pocket. Yeah. So it wasn't, it was pretty easy to carry around with us in, in the field, actually. So uh, the first, the day that we got there, we arrived maybe like one or two or so. so something like that, And yeah. we only had one night at Guango. And then uh, the next day, we were scheduled to have a, a guide take us on a route around. Yeah, so, around Guango. So we were free for that whole afternoon. Mm-hmm, we were free to roam around by ourselves. And we decided to go down to the river and see what we can find at the river. Which um, was kind of frustrating because, like we said, we didn't have the field guide right away. <laughs> so we were walking around looking at all these birds that we couldn't identify. That, that's what solidified that we need to go buy the field guide <laughs> that they have for sale at Guango. Who cares how much money it is? <laughs> uh, so we only saw a couple things because it was a little bit later in the afternoon, but definitely the hummingbirds were out in force. I, th- I think I think we had like eight or nine species or something, but it was, it was a ton of hummingbirds. So. Yeah. So um, wandered around, and then we decided, you know what, let's let's go look for the torrent duck because we knew what it. A, torrent duck would look like generally yeah um it's kind of like a dipper but it's a duck everyone said that's the bird that we need to find at guango Mm -hmm. so we went down to the river and we just kept going out on these um little access points to see if we could see it up or down the river and one of the things that i noticed on the beaches that was really cool is all this petrified wood which i love petrified wood it's like a super cool thing that I love finding, and there were just giant chunks of it. Oh yeah, there was like, the place. like logs, yeah, of petrified wood. Like it was a rockhound's dream <laughs> out there. Oh yeah, yeah. But if you don't know, um, a torrent duck. Um, so a torrent duck, it's a duck that lives in fast flowing rivers, and it swims upstream in the river and eats. It's like, kind of like a salmon; it goes upstream. <laughs> but it's more like a dipper though it's more yeah but it um so it, it swims upstream and it eats invertebrates and stuff off the bottom of the that are sticking to the rocks and then it rests while just sitting on the rocks so you can usually find them in fast moving water on rocks that are um poked up out of the water so that, that's what that's what we were looking for we're walking up and up and down the river getting access points to find dry rocks for them to sit on to see if we could see one sitting out there. So after like poking our head out after like five access points, yeah. the sixth one, I decided I'll let Eric go and look <laughs> and see if he can see it. And what'd you find, Eric? Uh, I, I found a female. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I found one one female. The they're really sexually dimorphic. Um, the males are like black and white, and the females are like red. And if you're not familiar with sexual dimorphism, that means that the male and the female look different from each other. So yeah. like a um, like a painted bunting, the males are very colorful, mm-hmm. but the females are more like a yellow-green. Yeah. So they're vastly different uh, coloration. Yeah. And so, so I saw a female, 
And I saw it for like a split second in my binoculars. And I didn't even think to take a picture of it then. But I, I was, I immediately turned to Hannah and I waved Hannah out. I'm like, there's one over here. And I turned back around and it, it, it had scared. It was, but it was like a good maybe 500, 600 feet away. But I, I guess I was just too far in the open or it had, had enough time resting or whatever it was. But so, she took off. Yeah. So I clam, clambered over the rocks and didn't find it. Yeah. Which was a bummer. But from that same spot, I think, is when we saw the um, the dipper that was out there. No, it wasn't the dipper. Well, it there was, was the torrent terranulate that was out that there. That was what it was. It was the torrent terranulate. Okay. We saw the dipper the next day. Oh, you're right, yeah. But the terranulate was really cool. And for us, um, you know, just mostly birding in the U.S., we only have the one terranulate species down in the Rio Grande Valley, the northern beardless terranulate. That's something about Ecuador that I did not anticipate, that there would be terranulate species all over the place. Yeah, terranulates and tan, like tan, these species of these families of birds that we only have like one or two of. They down in Ecuador, there's I think we had like forty some species of tanagers. Oh my gosh, yeah, just we, an insane amount. And when, the and, terranulates, I think we had like six species of terranulates. I feel like more than that. It might be more. I, I didn't count those ones up. That's just crazy, you know. So it's it's really beneficial to know at least the family groups and kind of the distinguishing characteristics yeah. of those family groups um, when you're going birding in these other places. You know, if you know what a woodpecker looks like and some of the general characteristics of a woodpecker in the U.S., then when you get somewhere where you're not familiar with, knowing those things about a woodpecker makes yeah. it a lot easier to uh, put it into a distinct family well, or and, group. And knowing the call too because the woodpecker calls were the the chips and the the rattles were still really similar to most of the woodpecker calls in north america Mm -hmm. so knowing how the sounds are similar among a family is is also helpful not just the way it looks yeah definitely so um missed the torrent duck that day (laughs) and we headed back for dinner and met the rest of our groups that were going to be at guango and san Isidro with us yeah uh, we also met Gabriel, who would be our guide for the next day. Yeah, he was he was a nice guy. He he was a local, so we we booked at. I, I think we 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 talked about it in the first one where um, we booked local guides because they know the areas, mm-hmm. and so that, that was the same case for uh, Guango, San Isidro, and Sani Lodge. We just we booked the local guides that live, eat, and grew up near the lodge, so they they're super familiar with the birds. And part of our decision was that they were a bit cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, we have to try to save our money as best we can. We're millennials. Where where we can. (laughs) Yeah. um, But that's not to say at all that they're worth less money. Because they're not. Um, Gabriel's English was was okay. Um, Well, he he was advertised to us as a non-English speaking guy. mm -hmm. So we we were told he wasn't going to speak any English. But he knew some English. But he, he he knew enough English and I knew enough Spanish. To get us through a day of burning mm-hmm. pretty well. Yeah. To get us quite a few species, too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the, after kind of a long night, I feel like I didn't sleep at all. I feel like we both so, had mosquito so bites. So itchy from the, from the mosquitoes and the... From the mosquitoes that we got in Mindo. <laughs> there weren't there weren't like any mosquitoes at uh, Guango. That no, it was too cold. Yeah, it was, it was cold, no mosquitoes. So uh, the next morning we got up and went birding with Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, went down, start off by going down to the river again and seeing what we could find out there. Of course, he was trying to get us on the torrent duck. Yeah, that was the main we, objective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and we ended up finding the dipper, which was really cool yeah. to see that dipper. 
So, so the white cap dipper that was that was kind of exciting. It was it's all dark and a white cap, you know, like like a dipper with a white cap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, that that was that was pretty exciting. I think we we saw a couple, didn't we? Yeah, we saw one or two of them along the river. Yeah, none of them close enough to like get pictures of or anything like that. But no, but they were out there. Yeah, <laughs> not 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 an uncommon bird in the in fast moving water. So there were a few target species that uh, Gabriel had planned out, and one of them was the chestnut-crowned ant pitta, which we were mm-hmm. hearing call in the the brush. Yeah, we got really close to one at one point. He was he he was whistling, trying to get it to come, and, and it was responding. It was responding, and it was within like maybe ten feet of us. I, it was it was super close, but we we couldn't couldn't test it out. But he he didn't. Uh, he didn't want to spend too much time there because he had an idea of where we'd find one. We, we ended up not seeing it anyways at the spot that he wanted to, but but we still got to hear it within, like I said, within like 10 feet of us. It was oh, yeah. super close. Yeah, but his key thing that he wanted us to find was a toucan species. That we ended up not seeing. Yeah, it was uh, some sort of mountain toucan. Yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the plate build. The plate build we had a Mendo. Mm-hmm. It was like a sister species on the east side of the of the Andes to the plate build. It was. But to something. find this thing, we hiked up to the top of a mountain, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like super muddy, yeah. and <laughs> like thick clayey mud. But you still slid in it, and I fell on my butt, and it was super embarrassing. Everybody laughed. Nobody laughed. <laughs> I laughed. It wasn't embarrassing. Nobody laughed. It just hurt. Okay. <laughs> so um, just wear, you know, some shoes with, like, traction because I was wearing my tennis shoes. Yeah, we probably should have been wearing rubber boots. I don't really know if that would have even helped. I don't know. Everybody my, my else feet, had rubber boots on. Everyone else had rubber boots on, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know if that would have helped with how slippery it was. Yeah. Having good, like, stability. Being able to walk. <laughs> that definitely would help. But we saw, you know, some really good things on that hike as well. Um, blue and black tanager. I thought that was really cool. Oh, yeah. The grass green tanager. Uh, he was really excited about that. Yeah, he was super. I, th- I guess that's a fairly uncommon species mm-hmm. in the area. And then it seems like we... Oh. There was a black and, or a green and black fruit eater. Yeah, that was... That was just... It was making a weird call, too. I can't remember what the call sounded like. It just it randomly flew past, too. Yeah. And it, then, it wasn't even on the radar for something to see. And then I think your favorite was probably the bar-bellied woodpecker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I was always... Anytime we found a woodpecker, <laughs> I was excited. But woodpeckers are so hard to get pictures of, though, because they're always either face, face you on the tree so they're completely backlit, or they're turned to the side so then they're just a silhouette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyways. Um, <laughs> so we birded around Guango a bit, and uh, then it was time for us to head off to San Isidro, which is a sister lodge of Guango. Yeah. And they were owned by the same... Is, they were brothers. They were the bro- bro- brothers that, that both purchased property, and they, they wanted to conserve the property, so they the, the two properties. So they purchased these areas, I, th- I, think, I think it said it was back in the 60s. They, it was they bought like, this property. It was like Ecuador didn't have people going to the east. Oh, that's what it was. And yeah. so they were trying to, um, they were giving people plots of land. Yeah, it, it was like just just ha- like how they did in America when people were settling, when pioneers were settling, homesteading, yeah, yeah. When, when they were settling towards the west. It was the same situation going on in Ecuador when people were settling towards the east because the, the foothills and then the lower... Um, the Amazon basin 
up until that point had been like unsettleable because technology didn't allow people to well, build and stuff like that. So access. And so as soon as technology was at the point that they could do that, Ecuador was like, you guys need to develop, develop fast, develop hard. And these two brothers, among many, many other people too, mm-hmm. but these two brothers were both like, no, we don't want this to be developed. We want people to be able to enjoy this for being natural the way it is. So they both purchased prop- some properties and for conservation purposes and that's that's what the lodges are for yeah so yeah. it's <laughs> it's um a lot of people when they come to these locations they go to guanga for a day and then san Isidro for two days it's it's on their website if you ever want to book it it's planned out that way yeah uh but just as an fyi uh there's not a whole lot of english spoken kind of to the not, not to a, the east in guango not not a lot of english san Isidro, there was I think like half the, half the people. Alejandro. He, Alejandro, the, the manager. Perfect. Yeah, he was. He he had a he had a weird accent. Though. I don't know where it was, where where he learned his English from. I don't know. I didn't ask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Anyways. <laughs> so um, a driver came and picked us up that had been prearranged by um, David uh, with uh, Lost Trains' Dodonna. Mm-hmm. Like we said, he helped us arrange everything, um, including all the taxi rides, which was really handy. That, yeah. You know, we didn't have to figure out arranging that ourselves. And plus, driving in Ecuador kind of scares me. <laughs> <laughs> so we wouldn't want to have rented a car. No. <laughs> uh, but it was about a 45-minute drive to San Isidro. And upon arrival, Alejandro, the manager, he greeted us and kind of showed us around a little bit. And it was it was super surprising because I had been trying like with our our driver again. The driver didn't speak really any English, any English at all. And when uh, when we got there, after trying to stumble through Spanish for <laughs> for the whole like forty five minute ride, we. Uh, um, uh, met Alejandro and he's speaking English and it's like oh my gosh did I just suddenly understand Spanish really well yeah after that point like <laughs> Eric stopped even trying to speak English, Spanish to people <laughs> he just like gave up I, my Spanish is just so bad I need I really need to like Duolingo or something or get your sister to like teach me Spanish <laughs> No, we will not do that. (laughs) Uh, So the first day we uh, hung out on the deck and looked at more hummingbird species. Even more hummingbird species, yeah. More, uh, even more variety because we're further east, a little bit lower in the foothills than we were. But just getting more and more species, more and more different species (laughs) each new place that we go. Uh, But they're hummingbird feeders. They were just right out on the deck, and Mm -hmm. they had a ton of different things coming to it. And the deck of the the restaurant part just overlooked the hills out in the the Andes, so that was really pretty. There was like a little lake below it, which somebody told us they were going to stock with trout and use that as like a fishing spot. Yeah, I I didn't really understand the reason behind that, but but I guess they had just um, it, would, it had been overrun with grass, and they, so they cut it all down, drained it, and they were refilling it. Huh. It's different. Yeah. Um. So we used that, or after sitting there for a little while, we decided to go for a hike on one of their trails because San Isidro has a ton of trails. Yeah. Um, including like trails that go out to the cock of the rock, so you can see that, and I think a couple of ant pitas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think there there was there was a lot of trails. There was probably like. 
10 miles or so? At least 10 miles of trails. So we decided to take one called the Tapir Trail. Yeah. Um, it said it was only 1.3 kilometers. Yeah, so we were like, yeah, it's just a short little walk. And Alejandro gave us boots, which I wasn't, Thank so sure, goodness. <laughs> I wasn't sure we were going to need. But yeah, we definitely needed. This trail was like, you know, in like boot camp when you have to like slog through the, <laughs> the mud and like lie down in it and like army crawl through it. I felt like that was pretty much what we did. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they, they uh, to make stairs, they recycled old tires. And so it was tires that they just fill with gravel, and that would make stairs. They'd, st- they'd step them down like that. Yeah, so... <laughs> so and, that's kind of like boot camp. There's I, there's tires everywhere, there's mud. <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah, mosquitoes. So I I've never been to boot camp, so I don't, I don't know what that's like. I felt like that trail was never going to end, though. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was definitely more than 1.3 kilometers. Yeah. So we were so glad when we finished that one, and it was time for dinner. <laughs> well, and Alejandro kept he, when when he he left, he gave us instructions. Okay, just stay to the right, take 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 the right hand turn every time. But there was no turns. There was nowhere off the trail. It was just like a straight trail. And so I'm thinking, okay, any minute now we're gonna have like a fork that we're gonna have to deal with. And there was never a fork. There was it was just mud and just walking through this trail. Is it was different. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Exhausting, uh, too. And no birds? <laughs> there was birds at the beginning and birds at the end. But yeah. there was like that hour in the middle where we were just hiking. Maybe. With no birds. <laughs> but, you know, there were some things that were calling from the deck. So I, I'm happy just sitting on the deck. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> we had some new hummingbirds, like you said. The violet-fronted brilliant, bronzy Inca. Um, and then we also had parrots flying over the speckle-faced parrots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, I forgot all about the parrots flying over. Oh, just crazy. Each different place we went, there was like a new flock of parrots flying yeah. over. So our guide at uh, San Isidro was Pablo. Pablo, yeah. Oh, but before before the guide, the Green Jays. Oh, yeah. The, oh, man. So, so if you know Green Jays if you know Green from Jays in Texas, Texas, they are not the same Green Jays. No. They, I guess they have been separated. They've been lumped. They've been split. They've been lumped. They've been split. Right now they're lumped. Green Jays are Green Jays, according to Ebert and according to uh, Clement's list. But these Green Jays down in Ecuador, they have like a white mullet. They are they look way different. They act they act a little bit different. They sound different. They like, still do their bouncy. Yeah, they still do that. They're, they're still a J. Yeah, <laughs> but they they look so different. Like they have like like Hannah said, they have like a white mullet. They're not nearly as blue. They're like, there's so much. And they're also but, called Inca Jays, right? Yeah, they, they, Everybody they, there they, they just call them Inca Jay. They don't call them anything else. But they're um, Clements and Ebert refer to them as Green Jay subspecies Inca Jay. So but, right now it's not countable as a separate species. Yeah. But if you are using eBird when you're down there, make sure to use that distinction oh, yeah, because definitely. there's Green Jay and then there's also an entry for Green Jay Inca Jay because if they end up splitting it again, then you'll get another uh, armchair lifer there. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that, that's that's another good point about eBird. Like if if you know the subspecies, if you can tell the subspecies and the subspecies is listed, go go with that subspecies because eventually in the future Sometimes, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But they'll, after you're they'll, dead, after you're dead or whatever, they'll, they'll they'll split it, and that makes it easier for the algorithm to decide whether or not you saw that subspecies versus a different one. If you're able to tell, like like up here in in Oregon, with the Audubon's and uh, 
Myrtle. And Myrtle, um, Yellow Rumped Warblers. Like, whenever you see them, if you see it's an Autobahns, mark it Autobahns. If you see it, it's Myrtle, mark it a Myrtle. Because eventually it may, may get split again. But, but, however, don't go crazy and just always put it if you're not sure. Yeah, because, only, only if you're sure. <laughs> yeah, because then you, you know, don't do it just to get lifers. Exactly. Well, and it's, well, it's just like putting it for, putting any other bird on the list. You, mm-hmm. you, you have to be sure... You know what it is. Other, otherwise, it's basically like putting SP. Like, yeah. It's a Don't yellow lie. rump warbler, warbler SP. Like, you couldn't tell which one it was. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, anyway, so so Pablo. Yeah, so <laughs> so we met Pablo, and he's, like, in his early 20s or so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly... He, he had to have been below 25. We, yeah. we didn't ask him how old he was, but... <laughs> but really nice guy. Oh, yeah, super nice guy. Um, pretty quiet at first, and then I think he just was laughing at us being silly the rest of the time <laughs> yeah sleep, sleep deprived and exhausted and, <laughs> and bird hungry yeah um so we met him the night before we were going out and uh one of the things that was really cool is as we were walking to dinner we heard an owl calling yeah and we ran up to pablo and we're like oh my gosh we think we hear an owl and he listened for a minute and he said that's the san Cedra owl so after dinner, he took us out to go look, and he did some spotlighting for owls. And right off the deck, there were two owls, and they were both the San Isidro Mystery Owl. Yeah, so so the San Isidro Mystery Owl, it's it's even listed in the field guide like that, San Isidro <laughs> Mystery Owl. And it, it comes up on, uh, I think it came up on eBird as... San Isidro Owl. San Isidro Owl, right? Yeah. yeah. But you can't count it as a lifer. Yeah, it, does, it, it basically counts as a taxonomic yeah. um, thing. Because from from everything that they can tell, it's a, it's a hybrid between two different owls. That's what it was a black banded owl and a black and white owl. It was it was a hybrid between the two. And so, like if you look at either one of those, it has characteristics from both of them. But there was there was both an adult and an immature mm-hmm. that were calling while we were, while we were there that he spotlighted, and they both looked pretty much the same. And one was obviously begging for food from the other. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it's successfully bred, so it should be a species. <laughs> so, um, just talking about the room a little bit. Oh, yeah, the room. Um, to paint the picture. Our room <laughs> was pretty large. It was uh, cabin 14, I want to say. Cabin 14, yeah. It was right on the, the main stretch into the the location. There's a bunch of different cabins there. And so, in that location, you have your own cabin, cabin versus Lake mm-hmm. Wongo um, that was rooms right next to each other like a normal hotel. Pretty simple. Um, bed had a little desk. Uh, bathroom. It had a second bedroom also that we mm-hmm. didn't use. No, didn't since we only it. need one. Um, but you know, there's electricity yeah. all the time there. Yeah, that, um, that one 24 hours electricity. Yeah. yeah, but no TV. Very little Wi-Fi. The only Wi-Fi was at the um, the restaurant, and mm-hmm. then it was pretty darn slow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next morning we went out with Pablo, uh, bright and early. And he took us for a walk down the, just the main road, which ended yeah. up being really good birding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, most of the other places that we've been, it's like, okay, well, we're going to go this secret place over here. We're going to go this secret place. But Pablo's like, yeah, let's just start at the, start at the, um, the restaurant or the dining room and 
we'll just kind of wander around, see what yeah. we see. Yeah. And we saw a ton. We did. We saw a lot with him. Um, things like pepper strikes. We saw siskins, the aura pendulas, which, oh my gosh, those guys yeah. are so funny. And those guys in the caciques together are just hilarious. Yeah. And their nests are super cool. They're like, if you've seen an Altamira Oriole nest, it's like a big sock, like a woven sock thing. And we watched a couple of Oropendulas um, building a nest, which it was so much fun. And, and their call is like super distinctive. I think I, think I got a recording of it. Let me play it here. Wasn't that distinctive? It was super distinctive. Yeah, so it, and it's just nonstop with that call through pretty much the whole morning. Mm. Yeah, so also, also in the morning is when we found, we, we went to over to the ant pitta. Oh my gosh, this <laughs> ant pitta. It was. It became a joke for the rest of the time. Okay, so, <laughs> like, there was this little cutout area of brush. Um, it was almost like a uh, shoot uh, midden. What's the the like bird in South America or not South America in Australia that I really want to see? A bowerbird. Oh, a bowerbird. It was yeah, almost yeah. like this big bower that had been built for an ant pitta. <laughs> and we all stood there, and they said, you know, just be real quiet. They put a couple of worms down on the ground and started uh, whistling to call it in. Yeah, and putting worms down is seems to be pretty commonplace for for, for looking for ampitas. So if they're they're really hard to find, and most of the lodges, like it's, it pretty much seems like every lodge, they have found an ampitta, and then somebody on staff basically every single morning Trains goes them. out and puts a couple worms out every single morning, regardless if there's guests there or not, just so that the ampitta just comes back and see see this ampitta that. Is continually attracted because there's worms. He comes by, eats worms, and leaves. Like it doesn't stick around for anything more than the worms, and it's gone. So we waited. I feel yeah. like for like ten minutes. Yeah. Everybody was just, just silent, silent, and the guy whistling for it. And then after a minute or so, um, like a fruit eater flew. Th- or no, it was a dacnus something. What was it? Oh, I can't remember what it was. So, something flew through, and that was pretty exciting. Yeah, a dark bird flew through. Yeah, a dark bird flew through. And then uh, we thought it was going to be the ant pitta, but yeah. it wasn't. And then, like, uh, two or three minutes later, we heard crashing in the trees. It was like a limb broke off or something from a pie. Yeah, and it just, like, crashed through everything. <laughs> and then the ant pitta showed up. <laughs> so, and the ant pitta is like a small bird. It's like a robin. It's... Yeah, it's like smaller than a robin, but it's like robin shaped. Yeah. And so it's like this big, huge crash, 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 crash. And all of a sudden, this, bloop, this little ant pitta shows up. But it stands there with its chest out like it's really proud of itself. Yeah, like it just tore down half the, half the forest to get to these couple worms. If anybody can build memes, I have, that, I have one for you. That was hilarious. Yeah. And so now, from, from then on, for the rest of the trip, it was any time there was crashing in the woods. It's like, oh man, there's an ant pitta coming. Ant pitta. <laughs> So we saw the ant pitta. Yeah, we saw white-bellied ant pitta. That's, yeah. that's what we saw there. It was, it was even funnier because it's so it's like so bland. It's like white, white and tan. I know. It's like we waited all day for this. <laughs> but he comes out like so proud of himself. Like, do 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 I am the ant pitta. <laughs> what you're all waiting for. Uh, so then we had breakfast and Pablo took us out on the road looking for more. Um, mm-hmm. gosh, we just, we saw so many things with him, a bunch of different fly catchers. My favorite was the handsome fly catcher. Cause that's such a good <laughs> name. Um, Alania's ant birds, uh, more hummingbirds, seed eaters. Like we had a crazy day out with him. Tons and tons of, th- I, I think some of the, one of the most exciting was we, so we, we heard two guans. We heard the wing beats of a sickle, sickle wing guan. 
And then we ended up seeing it. Mm-hmm. And then a few minutes later, we heard a waddled guan. And then we ended up seeing it. Yeah. So we saw both the guans that were expected there. And we, we went back and we were talking to some of the other guides. And apparently that's really exciting to be able to see both of them. Oh, like, yeah. That's not a that's not a common occurrence to be able to see both of them. So we were, we were excited to see them. And then we were even more excited as soon as we got back and told them. And then all the other guides were excited for us about it. So it's like, oh, man, this is even more exciting because it's actually super exciting to have seen both both of these guans. Well, and we got to give credit to Pablo because he worked oh, yeah. hard to get us those guans. Like, we we looked for the la- the waddle guan, like, for, like, half an hour. Oh, at least a half hour. Yeah, it was because it, it kept calling. Yeah, It, it like, kept calling and it was in, up in the trees. It's in this forest right here. It's, it's in front of us somewhere within this, like, quarter mile of forest. We're looking at it right now behind mm-hmm. branches. We just can't see it. Yeah. So that was crazy. But Pablo, yeah. I thought he was fantastic. And I really appreciated how hard he worked um, getting us birds. And also, mm-hmm. like, how how engaged he is with birds. You know, I thought that was really cool talking to him and about his, like what he wants to do in the future and how much he loves being a guide. So, um, the next day we Mm -hmm. headed off to, um, Sani Lodge, which is the spot in the Amazon that we're, there's a lot of travel that day. Yeah. It was long travel. It was about three and a half hours from, uh, San Isidro to get to Coca, which is where we caught the boat to go to Sani Lodge. Yeah. And I think I said in the last episode that people had warned us about the road to Mindo. And after we drove the road to Coca, that's the road that we were warned about. Okay. The, that there's washouts and rock falls and all sorts of stuff on it. Which there seemed to be, there probably were sometimes occasionally. Mm-hmm. But And our driver had warned us a bunch about it. Like, oh, well, if it's raining, to, we have to give ourselves a lot of extra time because sometimes the road will be closed for a while. Because it gets so rain- it gets so overflowing with water. Mm-hmm. So luckily, it wasn't raining at all. We just raced right on through. It took us they, they budgeted four and a half hours, and it took us three three hours and twenty minutes, or three and a half hours, something like that. Yeah. So we met uh, Jason mm-hmm. and Miguel and different Miguel at yeah. <laughs> at the um, the Mako the uh, cultural center mm-hmm. that's there, and they. Um, it's like a library us, and cultural center. Yeah, yeah, and they got us going onto the boat down to Sani, and Jason was going to be our guide. So we were glad we got to hang out with him a little bit before um, getting on the boat. So yeah, uh, so yeah, we got to hang out with Jason on the boat a little bit. Um, oh, on the ride out there, we saw the the great potu. Oh my gosh, yeah. that potu was just insane! And it after seeing it, it was like, wow, I'm a birder. <laughs> because I was the first one to see it after the guides were telling us where it is. So we're on the side of the, the Napo River, and they they knew where it was. Yeah, it's so somebody had found it months ago, years ago, or whatever. It's just like the Paraki and Estero. But, but the thing about this is, like, it's a three-hour boat ride. Yeah. So, I mean, how can you remember which stretch Oh, my gosh, I know. River? Which, which li- I, I tried to find it on the way back. I know, me too. I couldn't, couldn't find but, it. So we're on the river, and the guides are like, okay, so the potu is just right up here. And, like, I didn't know what a greater potu looked like. I figured it was going to be brown. I thought like it was going to be dark, yeah. potus, but it's, like, white. And they're saying, like, it's in the left side of this tree up here and trying to distinguish where it was. And, like, I don't know how I found it. But all of a sudden, I looked up, and I was like, holy crap, there it is. And what had happened was there... There was this vertical branch coming off, um, like, the second tier trunk, and it forked, and then it 
the branch dipped down and came up and there was like a point in the branch where it was like uh, real pointed Mm-hmm. And that was where the potu was sitting. It was, it was sitting, on the little pointed it little spot. It was the point. <laughs> it was the point in the branch. <laughs> but, like, it was invisible. Yeah, so it, t- it took us, like, 15 minutes to find it. Yeah. While floating back and forth in the river and the boat trying to, uh, the captain trying to keep the boat stable. Oh, back gosh. and forth, back that was, and forth. That was crazy. And then the family that was with us, I don't think they ever saw it. I don't know. Like, I think the lady said that she saw it and just said, okay, I think I saw it. Maybe. And then. Just to get us moving again. Well, she probably also didn't know what we were looking for. Yeah, I don't think she knew what we were looking for. She wasn't a birder. The, the other the other family that, that was there at the lodge with us, they weren't birders. They were the, just there to enjoy nature mm-hmm. and be outdoors. Yeah, so we saw that. <laughs> and then we headed down to the access point off the Napo. Yeah. Um, so to get to Sani Lodge, you take the boat to the access point. For three hours. <laughs> yeah, and then you walk about a mile or so on a, I think it's close to a mile yeah. on a raised boardwalk through the jungle to this other little like oxbow lake sort of thing. It, well, I think I think it's that's the that's the tributary that feeds into the Napo okay. from the lake that they're on. Okay. And so, so you walk that mile and get onto a canoe, a canoe, a, a manual paddled canoe, and they paddle like another three quarters of a mile, maybe or so. Up and up, up a river or up a little stream into the lake that the lodge itself is on the banks of, mm-hmm. and so you're you're really in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how you feel. <laughs> so um, we got to the lodge and got all checked in, and that place we had a little cabana as well, mm-hmm. um, but they are different because they have uh, power. Uh, they they don't supply power during certain times of the yeah. day. Be- because they're so far in the middle of nowhere, they use generators to for their power. So there's no air conditioners. It's very hot. There's no air conditioners. And they use mosquito nets. There's mosquito nets. Makes it hotter. To keep mosquitoes off of you at night. Um, and then they have like a ceiling fan and a little like rotary fan that runs for I think 16 hours out of the day is when you have electricity. So you can run those for... Any number of those sixteen hours that you want. So it's not like you're out of power all day. <laughs> no, you, you can you can still charge your phone, charge your charge your camera. Just be aware. Yeah. That that happens. So uh, Jason was our guide there, and he um, probably another guy that was in his early twenties. Yeah, something. So probably early twenties, I'm sure. Uh, he was from the <laughs> local Sani Ila community, uh, which is the indigenous tribe that inhabits that area. And they created this um, eco-lodge, which somebody explained to us they had done through, um, like, a nonprofit or an NGO group had come in and helped facilitate the building of this tri- this uh, this eco-lodge mm-hmm. to help raise money and, you know, build awareness and um, sustainably bring people out and visit these locations because birders want to go out there. And yeah. so it's, a, it's an ideal place for tourism to have a huge impact on this community. Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's down it's down to only a couple people that aren't from the village that are working there all together now, like because they, they have an office in Coca. Oh, but it sounded like a lot of the people from the village office that. Yeah, they go up there to Coca, but it sounds like there's still a couple people left that I guess they're still phasing out positions that are non uh, non Sani Sani people, but they're 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 almost there, so they're one hundred percent. Owned, operated, and run by by the locals from the from the community there. So that's pretty cool. Um, 
So just, man, first off, we were seeing birds when we were paddling out to the the community or out to the lodge, mm-hmm. like a capped heron, yeah. um, which is like a snowy egret, except it has like a black cap on it. And like tufts. Yeah. So that one. <laughs> and then a bird that I was so excited to see was a Watson, which yeah. I have always wanted to see one of those since I watched David Attenborough's Life of Birds, which if you haven't seen that, I mean, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> what, are you doing listening? what are you doing listening to us? Go watch that and watch, come back. Watch David Attenborough. <laughs> um, but just him talking about Watsons and how cool they are. And then we actually saw them. It was just so exciting to me, even though it's not a good looking bird or anything. It's a prehistoric bird. It's so cool. It's got, like, the blue skin around its eye and, like, spiky, weird things going on in its feathers. feathers. Babies are all claws and, you know, climb up trees (laughs) like a iguana. Yeah, they're they're definitely prehistoric birds that are adapted for doing exactly what they do. So, Barely flying and <laughs> living above water. First night, um, we took a little paddle out on the, the lake. Mm-hmm. And, man, just right off the bat, we were seeing, like, rufescent tiger herons. Um, we saw that that one heron species. How do you pronounce that one, Eric? <laughs> the one that they kept calling the okapi heron? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Co- it's the... Kokoi? Kokoi heron. Kokoi. It's Kokoi heron. But it looks just like a great blue. I kept calling it the Okapi heron. Yeah. Like, you know, like the Okapi uh, gazelles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and lots <laughs> of different parrot species were flying around. Yeah, ton- tons of different parrots. It, like, every single parrot that flew over was a different species. Oh, yeah. And it was... I, th- I think that we saw and were able to identify, like, probably five of the species. Uh-huh. But there was probably, like, four or five more that would fly over, and they would have a different call, and Jason would be like, oh, that's that's a this, or that's a that. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So many species of parrots. Yeah. So, uh, next morning, we got up at 4.30. And yeah, I think 4.30 was our wake-up for every day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he took us on a canoe ride out to their canopy tower. Yeah. Oh, man, that canopy tower's tall. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but first off, as we're going out to the canopy tower, he heard a tinamo, tinamu, oh yeah, yeah, uh, out in the brush. And this dude, like, there, there'll be a trail, and he'll just like zip off trail, which I didn't expect for whatever was, reason. Yeah, I was not really expecting going off trail that much. I mean, because typically that's in in America, you're on trail and you stay on trail. Yeah, you don't don't usually go off trail when you're doing like guided bird walks and stuff like that, but. Out here, this this is basically like Jason's backyard. Like he's he he grew up out here, and so it's just like you're, he's walking along and he hears a bird over there. It's like, oh, let's go look at this bird that's over there. Then I hear, I know, but he's just like walking through and like leaves are smacking me in the face. <laughs> I'm like tripping over stuff. Yeah, it was. I am not made for off roading. Yeah, it was definitely off roading. <laughs> we had rubber boots the whole time, which is nice. <laughs> yes, because it, it was muddy and wet and. Jungly. So we like spooked the Tinamau a couple times. Um, yeah. But didn't get a great Never look at it. Never got a good it. look at it. And then uh, he took us up to the top of the canopy tower, which is built in the top of this giant tree. And then it, it has, has like thir- 37 meters, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it has so like tall. scaffolding stairs leading up to it. Yeah. Which was... And then like a platform up in the top, so it was like a tree house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. We spent like four hours up there I at think. least yeah and maybe saw like 100 species <laughs> saw a ton of species we saw those uh the blue and yellow macaws well let's talk about the first bird we saw oh the first bird it was blackburnian warbler 
Oh yeah, that was super exciting, right? A bird, a bird that we saw all the time in Texas. I know. <laughs> we kept seeing. And bird. I think I got a much better picture of it in Ecuador than I got ever got of it in in America. So just just be aware, Blackburnian warblers and blackpole warblers are pretty yeah, common. Yeah, they they migrate through. Um, so we stood there for a while, and then we saw the blue and yellow macaw. We <laughs> we, we heard heard a couple of them flying flying around, and then. We saw two of them, and they were interacting like hardcore. Like I don't know if it was it was mating or what it was. It was beautiful. Yeah, they were hanging by their feet, and then like smacking each other in the face, and <laughs> all all the things that things usually do when they mate. You know, like smacking in the face and <laughs> kicking and biting. Um, but oh my gosh, there were just birds all over the place. I I can't even with how many species we saw. Um, I can't even. I can't even. But one of my favorite one was the greater yellow-headed vulture. I thought that was so cool. That was pretty it's cool. It's huge. And it's pretty close, too. Yeah, it was. Um, Eric, of course, loved the woodpeckers. Oh, yeah. What more, was your more woodpeckers. Well, so there was the, um, the cream-colored. Mm-hmm. But so the cream-colored, that was kind of my favorite because that one came so close. Yeah. But the, the other one was the, I think it was the crimson crested. Um, yeah, it was the Crimson Crested that was my actual, my actual favorite of the ones that I saw. Cause that one, it's in the same family or it's in the same genus as Ivory Build, the, the Campophilus. Mm-hmm. So that was like, it's like, it's almost seeing an Ivory Build. Oh you know? my gosh. <laughs> You're so ridiculous. No, it's, it's, but it's in the same genus. It's, it's a large woodpecker. It's, uh. Look, I guess it looks, from a distance, superficially, it kind of looks like a pileated woodpecker. I thought, you know, the barbet would be your favorite. Why? Because it did the weird call Oh, my thing. gosh. That, was that was that up on the tower? Yeah. Okay, so the barbet. I I don't know if I, I don't think I got a recording of its call, but it does like this sort of call. And when it does that, it does the first couple dits with its head up. And then it like grabs its toes with its beak, and its tail bobs for the other things. And its tail's bobbing. It just looks so ridiculous when it does that. Well, I mean, we just saw so many cool species when we were up there. My favorite was probably the opal crown tanager. Oh yeah, yeah. That is just such a crazy looking bird. Is it am- among the forty some species of tanagers. Oh, I love tanagers <laughs> so much now. I have so much more respect for them than I ever did before. So we spent like five or six hours up there and then it started raining and then on the paddle back we both thought the canoe was gonna um, oh my gosh it was, it was pouring down rain hardcore and the canoe was like half full of water <laughs> and i'm like and then jason's like oh let's stop and look at this it's like no jason let's hurry up and get to the dock i'm carrying all my camera equipment and let's let's not sink this boat and there are piranhas in the water <laughs> Yeah, piranhas and I caiman. I don't want to find out what they do. Which we found out later, the caiman were like gigantic. They're oh like gosh. the same size as an American, American alligator. alligator. Yeah, it looks just the same. Yeah, it looked identical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, that, so this is going to be a really long episode, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> um, so that was that was pretty much it for that day. Yeah. And then the next day, we took a boat ride up to um, the Napo Island, the islands in the Napo. Yeah. The the river islands. Yeah, and also to see the clay lake. The, cl- the clay lake and the river islands, yeah. Yeah. So the clay lake was um, pretty cool. I mean, something you see on National Geographic. Mm-hmm. I got the wrong impression of what it was going to look like from National Geographic, though. <laughs> um, it was really just uh, like a bare spot in the wall that yeah. all these parrots were just clanging onto and licking. Yeah, licking clay. Yeah. Not the clay lake. Yep. <laughs> and then... Um, we had four species of parrots and one parakeet mm-hmm. there. But I guess um, 
there's multiple waves of parrots that come through throughout the day, and oh, yeah. there's probably like 200 birds total, maybe, mm-hmm. cleaning up on the wall. Yeah. And then we stopped on a couple of islands that were in the, the middle of the Napo and saw a handful of other species. Um, a couple, There was a couple of endemic ones that were pretty cool. I can't remember which ones were the endemic ones. There was two that were... That only live on the islands. One was a bicolored conebill. Is that what it was? The bicolored mm-hmm. conebill? Yeah. Okay. Which I never really give credit for to those kind of islands. Like, we never yeah. go bird those kind of islands. No, it's just like an island in the middle of a river. Yeah. And but, it's I not... mean, they're their own little habitat, oh, ecozone. Yeah. Protected from a lot of mammals and stuff. Cause oh, yeah. Can't, can't swim. And the river flows, like, pretty heavily. It does. It's a fast flow to that river. Yeah. It's not, it's not none of that little wimpy <laughs> stuff. It's not so, like the Rio Grande, the Rio Grande River, which is kind of flow. It's just, it's a flow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so then the next later that day, we went and actually visited uh, Jason's family home. Yeah, we uh, walked walked the trail all the way back to his parents' house, basically, which is like a mile from the river, <laughs> or yeah. at least. Uh, but man, just birds after birds on. On these properties, and you can see why this guy knows birds so well, is because he grew up going out in the forest yeah. and seeing all these things. Well, and I, I don't know if there was like a secret road that was back that had a different access to his house, <laughs> but if he had to walk this every day to go to, to go to school or to do whatever he needed to do, like to go go into the community, walk walk this road or this this trail, like you're gonna see wildlife, you're gonna learn wildlife mm-hmm. just by being out there and like kind of paying attention. And the, and the birds like draw your attention. So many of them have like such distinctive calls that it's like you have to you have to walk off into the jungle <laughs> and find out what's what's making that call. So um, his family is part of the Sani community, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked a little bit about before. And he told us that each family was given 250 meter plots, right? Yeah, 250 meters of riverfront and then it's squared off going straight back away from the river i don't don't know how far back it goes but forever (laughs) i guess it goes until they don't want to go any further but (laughs) um but they they grow a lot of different things out there they grow um cocoa or uh cacao yeah and they had banana or plantains and Mm -hmm. um they had lots of chickens and bananas too yeah and then coffee oh and you're right coffee so um they're pretty much like subsistence farmers. I, that, I tried that's to, what it seems like. I tried to ask him if they sell any of the, the the products to other people, but couldn't really figure out the best way to say that, yeah. so I didn't really get my answer. Going out in his his backyard was just really eye opening to see you know how how other people live. And then he took us into the um, Sani community because that's mm-hmm. part of the tour. Well, before before the Sani community, we saw the crested owl. We did see the crested yeah. owl. <laughs> That was exciting. Yeah, at that point. That, was, that was another one. It was like, all right, I'm tired of walking through the jungle. Let's just get this <laughs> over with. I'm exhausted. I've been smacked in the face by enough branches. There are so many bugs. Oh, and they there was this walking stick thing that like <laughs> jumped at me. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was a, whole a jumping day. stick is what it, what it was. I was thinking like, I'm just going <laughs> to die right here. <laughs> so tired yeah um so anyways he he took us into the community and Mm -hmm. they have like an event center sort of thing set up and uh part of the the tour is that they teach us about their cooking methods and they made us lunch yeah 
which uh, we walked in, we saw their whole grill setup that they have, and they explained to us what it was in um, in Quechua, which yeah. is their native language. Yeah, but I, I guess Quechua is a dying language because even even the elders there weren't speaking full Quechua. Like when 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 um, the the I don't know if she was the grandmother or if she was the lead lead cook or, mm-hmm. or what she was one of the leaders of the community even when jason told us she's going to explain in quichua and he's going to translate she was explaining quichua but i kept recognizing spanish words out of it and then i asked jason afterwards and he's like well it's a it's a dying language and only the elders speak it anyways really and, so it's been bastardized and yeah so it's just been beat to heck from from the um the spaniards coming in and from from everything just all all interactions just the language is just disappearing. So, but um, that was an interesting trip to their mm-hmm. their community because they they showed us how they cooked, and then um, Jason gave me this huge banana leaf that had been tied up and said, "Oh, they have a surprise for you. <laughs> Open <laughs> it up and see what it is." Well, of course, we knew what it was. Guess what it was? It was the the grubs. It was giant. Yeah. It was the biggest grub I have ever seen. And it was, like, writhing, like, in a palm leaf <laughs> in my hand. And I just wanted to, like, throw up all over the place. <laughs> ah. And then they gave Eric... Well, they gave us both the option of having one. Yeah. And guess who tried one? Well, I ate one, yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't eat it when it was alive. I, I ate the ones that they cooked. You didn't let it slither down your throat? No. Well, so it's, it's the larva of a South American palm weevil. Yeah, so, like I said, pretty big thing. And they grilled it on a little stick and brought it over for Eric to try. Yeah, I pulled off the the little uh, the shield for the head and then just ate it. And so it, it tastes a lot like, uh, like t- to me it tastes a lot like beef jerky. Like, it's probably just because it was smoked. It probably just doesn't have a lot of flavor anyways. Like, it's just a beetle. It's a beetle larva. Yeah. Haven't had a lot of time to, li- I mean... So the what where this grub comes didn't have from? Didn't a lot of time to get yeah, flavor. Didn't have a lot of time to get flavor. Oh, God. <laughs> so so it, so it's a larva of a weevil. So the weevil lays its eggs in the top of palm trees that have died, and the then the larva then bore their way through, and they just eat the palm the palm heart. And so when the natives when they find these dead palms, they'll cut down the dead palm to get the to get these grubs out of them. And that's so it's a something that's eating something that's mostly flavorless anyways, like the the palm hearts I can't imagine they have a lot of flavor when they're raw, yeah, I think they I don't know I've only ever had them cooked, so I don't know, yeah, so yeah, they made us a nice lunch of the yeah. weevils we- then, weevil lunch um they also had uh, a fish that had been baked with um the heart of palm, yeah, like in the in the um palm and the banana leaf. So whole spread. Which, it was all really good. Yeah, definitely. It was really interesting experience going out there. J- Jason said that's his favorite part of the whole. I'm giving <laughs> tours all is when they, when he goes back to the community and he gets to eat that. <laughs> and I don't eat fish, so he got to eat mine. <laughs> yeah, he, he was pretty excited about that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that was just that was super cool. So uh, then the next day. Um, we, well, at that point we went back to the lodge and he was talking about going back up to the canopy tower, um, yeah. early in the day. And we were so glad that he didn't say anything else. I know. We, we were, were exhausted. Out. My, my feet were killing me from the rubber boots. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to take off the boots and just not put them on ever again. <laughs> I was hoping. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so the next day we did kind of a just abbreviated uh, bird walk and mm-hmm. then a paddle back out to the Napo. So we headed so on. So we home. leave. Oh, so oh, that, uh-huh. that not home yet, but the the last day we're, while we were leaving, it was our four Kingfisher day. Five Kingfisher. Five day. King. Sorry, five Kingfisher day. So yeah. we had uh, the regular like Amazon Kingfisher. The Which ring starting at the top is a big one. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, we'll start off. We'll go smaller and smaller and smaller. So Amazon Kingfisher was the biggest one mm-hmm. that we saw. Then we saw a ringed Kingfisher, and then the next one. Trying to think of size wise, which would be the next They're one? They're the same size. So okay, so the green and rufus. Yeah. Or the rufus and green. Green and rufus. Green, green and rufus kingfisher and the green kingfisher are about the same size. Mm-hmm. And then the American pygmy kingfisher, which is half the size. Half of the size of a green kingfisher. It looks like a hummingbird. It's, it's tiny. so tiny. And they fly so fast. Oh my gosh. But they don't. I didn't hear him make a noise. They might make a noise. He heard him. Jason heard him. Did he hear him? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. I guess they do. They must make a noise then. But I, I was just imagining that it would sound like a green kingfisher, but like up an octave. <laughs> That's kind of what I was imagining. I, don't, I, I haven't gone to look at, look at a call or anything, but I was kind of disappointed that I didn't hear it. <laughs> so I couldn't well, hear, super cool. hear the call. But yeah, so we saw all five kingfishers that, that day on the way out. Well, so a three and a half hour boat ride later, mm-hmm. um, we got to co- back to Coca yeah. and they stuck us on a plane and sent us back to Quito. Yeah, we yeah. spent that night, ate some pizza. Oh, yeah. At a, <laughs> at a random place in Quito. Was... Yeah, at um, La Ronda. Calle de La Ronda. Yeah, Calle La Ronda. Which is yeah. like the party area. Um, but before we had left San Isidro, uh, yeah, San Isidro there was a guide there that's mm-hmm. from Quito. And we arranged with him for our last day in Quito for him to take us to Antisana, which is a national park just outside of Quito. And he had told us about all these cool birds up there. So, um, ate some pizza in Quito, went to bed. Went to bed early so we could wake up and go up to Antisana. And then met Gabriel to go to Antisana. Yeah, so Antisana is, it's a national, or it's a national wildlife refuge. It's an ecological reserve. Ecological reserve. Um, but it's, uh, it's on the side of a volcano that has, there's a big lake up there. And it's, um, most of the area is what's considered a paramo. Which is a highland savanna, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like grasslands that are at elevations over like 3,000 meters. So it's cold. It's cold, yeah. Cold. <laughs> very cold. And we saw the most random things up there that I would never... Um, <laughs> like the black-faced ibis. Like, yeah. how crazy is that? I would not expect to see an ibis at that kind of elevation. Yeah, to but, me, they're like tropical birds. Yeah, well, and and they're endangered, and mm-hmm. I, I imagine because there's not a lot of paramo, like just willy nilly all across everywhere. Yeah, it's high elevation. You you have to be a certain height to get get that sort of habitat. <laughs> well, in this area, we didn't see like a whole lot of new species. Like we had we had like twenty thirty species that we saw. Yeah, but it wasn't like a whole bunch of species at once. It was like. A few really good species. Yeah. Well, it's it's like when when you go to like higher elevations, anyways. Like like you you go to the timberline, and species just start getting lower and lower because there's less things that can survive there. But the things that can survive there can't survive anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, so you're you start seeing getting, a really distinct population. Yeah. Of Completely species. different species than what you'd see down below, but Not the numbers lot. aren't aren't as high. Which yeah. we were more excited to see some really cool things like. 
Like the Ibis. Like, but we didn't even talk about the best one. Which the one? reason we went up there which was the Andean Condor. That's what I was just about to say. I oh. was just about to say the Condor. Beat you to it, sucker. <laughs> so, so that was that was the that was probably the number one reason why we wanted to go up yeah. to Antisana is to see the Andean Condor. Mm-hmm. Just like the um, we've never seen an American Condor, just, just or like, a California just Condor. like a California Condor. It's a massive, massive carrion bird. Carrion eating bird. Mm-hmm. They're they're huge. They're monstrous, and I think I think I got some pictures that might do them justice. Eh, I don't know. You guys but, have to be the judge. But, but like Gabriel, the guide Gabriel, he goes up there semi regularly, yeah. and he'll see a couple of them. But we were seeing them all over the place. Yeah, I think we saw at least. I, I think on the eBird list, I put six, but I think we saw at least ten. Yeah total but i saw we saw six at one point all at the same time mm-hmm. so that that's the reason i only put six on the list but I'm, I'm sure all of them were all unique individuals like the 10 or maybe even more than that but there were just tons of them all over the place which was really cool oh yeah definitely because considering he said that the most recent census was 100 and 112 um exist in in ecuador, in ecuador. yeah like there's there's more if you go further south like you you leave ecuador go through uh like Peru and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but that's crazy to think we saw one percent of the population. Yeah, we saw one percent <laughs> of the entire population of the condors in um, in Ecuador. So yeah, we saw a lot of really neat species while we were up there, but it was stinking cold. Yeah. Um, but one place that we stopped, which was uh, was pretty, I thought it was a really neat place, was the Tambo Condor. It's yeah. a it's a hostel and also a restaurant that's just down the street from. Um, the location they and, and we, as of right now, the one and only place overseas that has our uh, sticker. What what? <laughs> um, our Hannah and Eric go burning sticker. But they <laughs> they would be a fantastic place if you ever want to just go stay up in that area. You know, rent a car yeah. and go up there. Um, they have just a couple cabins, and like we said, there's a restaurant that had pretty good food. Yeah. Um, every every place has that we ate had really good food. Um, but that was a great place. We saw the giant hummingbird there. We saw... Um, the world. It's the world's largest hummingbird. It is. We also saw <laughs> the sun, shining sunbeam, um, Tyrian metal tail. Uh, just lots of cool things at that little one, that spot. Yeah, they, they have a couple hummingbird feeders and they're fairly active. And it's great access right to the ecological reserve right there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, it's only 15 minutes mm-hmm. of, of driving from there. Yeah. And, and you, it's and you real could, isolated, too. Yeah, you could probably just walk the road if you wanted to. Yeah. It'd take a while, but... <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't like, anyone up there. Be cold. <laughs> yeah, it would be cold, yeah. Yeah, and it was also kind of, like, raining, too, mm-hmm. when we were up there. But the weather changes. Up, the, up there, at the high elevation like that, the weather can change in five minutes. Like, yeah. So, if it's pouring down rain, wait see, seek shelter for a few minutes and then wait for it to blow over, because it... It, it kind of did. Mm-hmm. It stayed cold, but the rain would come and go, come and go. But we just, like we said, we had some really cool species while we were up there, like the yellow-billed pintail, um, Andean teal, Andean duck, anything with Andean we pretty much saw. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the Andean duck was, like, it looks exactly like a ruddy duck, mm-hmm. but it's a different it's a different duck. It, looks, it looked identical to me. I, I would have just said ruddy duck, but... It came up as uh, Indian duck, and <laughs> one of my favorites of the day ended up being the tufted tit tyrant. It oh just my gosh, popped yeah. out of nowhere, and it was a really interesting looking little bird. It was yeah, like, it's like a black and white and... tit. Yeah, yeah. It has this weird uh, like tuft on its head, like it's like his name tufted, yeah. but it had like these. It's like a weird swooping 
<laughs> on top of its head. It was very stunning. Yeah. So um, we had planned on telling you all about some different tips for traveling overseas, but I think we might just make a mini-sode about that because yeah. this has gone on long enough. But we just wanted to cap this off. Well, I guess after the the trip out to Antisana, that was kind of it for our trip. And yeah, pretty we had, much. <laughs> we headed back home at that point. So anyways, here are some statistics from our trip to Ecuador. So we, we birded in Ecuador for 13 days, and we birded in Panama for one day. So we had 14 days of tropical birding. And in that time, um, I saw 400 and, 410 species in Ecuador. Hannah saw 412. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw 19 in Panama for the six hours we were in Panama. Yeah. Um, and among all those species of birds, we had uh, 40 species of hummingbirds. That's insane. 40 total species of hummingbirds. 37 of them in Ecuador, 4 of them in Panama, and then one of them that we saw in both, the white-necked Jacobin, we saw in both countries. Um, I was really excited about the 10 new species of woodpeckers that we saw, which Crimson Crested, like I mentioned earlier, was my favorite. So that was that was super exciting for me. <laughs> and a family of birds that wasn't even on my radar before we went and is my absolutely favorite right now are the tangers. We saw at least 43 species of tangers. And to think up here in the Pacific Northwest, we have one, the western tanger yeah. that's here in the summer. Well, and out of those 43 species, there was like 10 of them that weren't even called. There was like hemispingus and oh, chlorospingus. And, and mountain tanger. And, and, and stuff like that. The tanager wasn't even part of their name, but they, they are still a tanager. And they're all amazingly brilliant. And, you know, we have a lot of conversation about why are all our birds brown, but it is just so amazing to go to a place where there are all these different colors and you just never even thought they made birds like that. I know. It's just like somebody just got tired of seeing the probably no boring brown birds and just <laughs> spattered them with colors. <laughs> So um, in Ecuador, we were trying to get the highest diversity of habitats we could with our limited budget and limited mm-hmm. time. And um, with our two days in Quito, four days in Mindo, and then the rest of the time in the the um, east side and the Amazon, we just saw an incredible diversity of species. Oh, yeah. And endangered species and really common species. And pretty much, I think we covered the whole gamut of northern Ecuador. Ecuador, in terms of <laughs> random varieties. And we only saw, like, a quarter of the total species anyways. That, oh, yeah. Of that region. But we saw quite a few species, and it was it was very productive, I think. And we may, really met some incredible people. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the people the were fantastic. Birders too. and just other locals that are, you know, interested in birding or, you know, having more tourists out to their area. Mm-hmm. So that was, was a really rewarding trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, we're gonna come out with a mini-sode later this week talking about tips you should know yeah. for going to Ecuador. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so look for that. Yeah, so thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Um, rate, review, and subscribe us on um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and wherever else you find us. I'm sure we're found probably all sorts of different places. Um, if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Eric with a K goes birding on instagram or on our facebook page hannah and eric go birding or you can email us at hannah and eric go birding at gmail.com tell us what you hated tell us what you liked and share us with all your friends to help us build a following